this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Mariano Conti from MakerDAO. This was a great conversation that came about all on Twitter. I was able to get Mariano on the show very quickly and talk about his influence with MakerDAO and what they're doing there. MakerDAO is a stablecoin uh, which is collateral-backed uh, and effectively tries to have a stable value relative to the U.S. dollar. And so it is backed by Ethereum, but it is going to multi-collateral-backed uh, which means that there will be other digital assets that can potentially back it. And so we talked about the purpose of DAI and what it does in the system. We talked about uh, the Oracle problem because Mariano works uh, very closely with the oracles that feed information into their systems there. Um, and so this is a great conversation about that. Uh, we're going to be talking more about the oracle problem in some upcoming shows, which I'll make sure you guys are aware about. We also talked a lot about Argentina. Uh, Mariano is from Argentina. And living in Argentina with 45% or actually now closer to 65 or maybe 70% yearly inflation and having seen how the government uh, has froze people's bank accounts, taking away their life savings, this is all kind of evoking a lot of the Cyprus issues that we saw a few years back. Um, so if anyone has read Bitcoin Billionaires, uh, the Winklevoss twins talk about that as a big uh, issue and something that really caused a lot of interest in Bitcoin and other digital assets. So this is a great conversation. We talk a lot about DAI. We talk a lot about stable coins. We talk a lot about Argentina. And so remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Mariano. Take care. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Mariano Conti from the Maker Foundation with us today. Mariano, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So it's my pleasure. We're going to have an interesting uh, conversation here, and I'm going to break it into a new way. Uh, you know, we've been doing Base Layer for about a year now, and I'm going to break it into a little bit more of an interesting way. We're going to do the who, the what, and the why. And so obviously we'll start with the top of the show about Mariano and about what he's been up to and what he's doing. And then we'll go into the what, and we'll talk about Maker, and we'll talk about all the things that they're doing there, and then the why. And the why gets to be really interesting because Mariano has some interesting perspectives as being a citizen of Argentina. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. So if you could, Mariano, for general background, a little bit about you. And again, what we do on the show is not necessarily the when Bitcoin moment, but the what about blockchain and Bitcoin really settled it for you to move your career professionally 100% into this space. Okay, perfect. So um, yeah, like you say, I uh, live in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I was born here, although I lived most of my life in Mexico. I came back around 2011. Uh, I'm an engineer. I was really happy with my career, you know, making websites and web apps. And um, this happened totally by accident. There were capital controls in Argentina, and I couldn't get paid in dollars. So uh, my boss at the time suggested Bitcoin. And um, I realized that it was a, a good way to protect my money. And the thing that got me 100% into this industry was just the external economic forces 
and this is true for a lot of Argentinians, they pushed us and myself into embracing this technology almost uh, as a necessity. That's really, we'll talk more about that because obviously we're seeing hyperinflation, we're seeing issues in Chile, we're seeing it obviously play out in Hong Kong where there are capital controls and there are things happening from sovereignties. So there's a lot of interesting things, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So if you could, for those that are listening that may not be as familiar with Maker, uh, if you could give us a little bit of a 101 on what Maker is, and then as your title is, the head of smart contracts, describe what that means. Uh, yes, of course. So um, the Maker protocol is a system that is built on top of the Ethereum blockchain. And um, it is a protocol that allows people to take out loans in a stable coin called DAI. So uh, I think of it akin to a mortgage. So people put in a valuable asset, in this case, Ether, into a smart contract and they borrow against it. And what they borrow is a token called DAI that is pegged one-on-one -on -one to the US dollar. Uh, once they have DAI, they can use that DAI to do almost anything they want. They can buy more Ether, uh, therefore leveraging. They can sell it in the open market. Um, and that is one way to look at the system. Uh, the people who create uh, that DAI, on the other hand, once DAI is in the market, companies can pay employees in DAI. Uh, it is a token that has all the benefits of a cryptocurrency, but it is not volatile, which uh, creates all sorts of opportunities to uh, pay invoices and receive salaries and uh, you know, just have a little bit more assurance that uh, what you have at the moment is not going to go up or down by 10, 20, 30%. And as you said, head of uh, smart contracts, uh, everything that we do, the base layer are smart contracts on the Ethereum blockchain. And I'm in charge of making sure that the smart contracts are bug free and work as intended. So we do all the, the writing, testing, uh, working with external auditors. In fact, we're on the final stages before releasing the next version of the system. Right. And so the DAI stablecoin is a collateral-backed cryptocurrency, which you just alluded to, whose value is relative to the US dollar, which is what you just said. So the evolution of stablecoins over the last few years with Tether, with Basis and others, what role do do they play in the entire ecosystem? You kind of alluded to it at the beginning, um, but you know, as you've been you know, at the forefront of this and you're working at, with a project and a foundation that is really at the forefront of this, what does the evolution over the last few years look like? Well, we've seen a proliferation of different stablecoins, and um, I think the most famous one is Tether. Um, Tether is the one I would say that allowed most of the initial markets to happen and, and, and be bootstrapped because um, here you have a token that is stable in value and you can do everything within the ecosystem. You don't need to go and exit into a bank account or fiat. You can trade against a token that is uh, pegged to the dollar in this case. And that, I think, is one of the reasons that, that markets were uh, created and made so successful. The thing is, there's a couple of different, we recognize three different types of cryptocurrencies. Tether is more like an IOU um, 
uh, stablecoin, uh, I'm sorry. And what this means is that there's a company usually centralized that says, okay, I'm going to give you this token that represents $1 and I have a dollar backing it somewhere in a bank, maybe. Um, that is what we call IOUs and that's what Tether is, for example. Uh, basis is another kind, um, we call them uh, like seniorage stable coins. I don't want to get into too much detail with those ones, but um, they were like algorithmic uh, at some point. And the, the problem is that they got into trouble with the SEC. Uh, they were viewed as securities. So now at least basis, which was the big one, it uh, never got out into, into the system, right? And right. then the third one is collateralized uh, decentralized stable coins of which DAI uh, is one. The idea is that there is always more value backing the token. And because they're smart contract based and decentralized, uh, they're essentially unstoppable as long as the Ethereum blockchain is working. Mm -hmm. You can always go to the smart contract and you can see uh, and you can audit yourself that there is more value backing this token and you don't need to go to a judge and say hey i need to go and see this company's bank account to make sure that if there's a billion tokens outstanding that there are a billion dollars or a billion in assets uh a billion dollars worth of assets in our case you can just look at a smart contract and say okay right now as of today there are around 89 million die and they're backed by over 320 something million dollars worth of ether. And I think that's pretty powerful. Right, I agree. One of the things I want to be clear on is that with DAI being collateralized with Ethereum, Ethereum is a cryptocurrency and there is volatility with, with Ethereum. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I want to be clear because it is backed by a volatile asset in Ethereum. And so there are mechanisms. We don't necessarily need to go into the depth of them, but there are mechanisms that Maker uses to effectively create stability, correct? Uh, yes, correct. And I want to point out that since uh, the current version of DAI was released almost two years ago, the price of Ether went from around 600 up to 1400 and down to 85 and because we do have these parameters, these safety parameters, uh, DAI was able to maintain its peg, even though the underlying asset was so volatile. Right. Again, just an interesting point for people that are listening that might not be familiar with it. So moving forward, the roadmap. So initially, as you mentioned, it was single collateral DAI, and that was Ethereum. And now the news is that you are moving to, to multi-collateral DAI. So talk about the importance of that. What does that mean? Yes. Um, so uh, Rune Christensen, the, uh, the founder and, and CEO um, of Maker Foundation, he announced during DEFCON 5, a couple of weeks ago that we're releasing multi-collateral died November 18th. And as its name says, multi-collateral uh, die is going to be backed by more than just Ether. Um, so there can be other uh, tokens or valuable assets backing the, uh, the die token as a way to hedge against uh, any one asset being too volatile. But 
this is uh, just one aspect of, of multicollateral dye. The name uh, is a little bit misleading because for me at least it says that that is the main feature. In fact, there are a lot of improvements over the current system. Uh, but yeah, uh, as you say, we're going to be launching with Ether and uh, BAT, the BAT token. So those, those are going to be the first two. And then uh, governance are going to decide later on uh, which additional assets are going to be part uh, of the maker protocol. Right. So I want to discuss an important part of this, and that's called the Oracle problem. And before you were head of smart contracts, you were effectively, if I'm not mistaken, head of Oracles. Um, and so we can talk about that. So what's the Oracle problem? And I recently saw that you wrote or that you were – talking uh, on Medium that my favorite part of my job is, is also the scariest. Oracles are the weakest link of any blockchain project, and they just cannot fail. So what is the Oracle problem as it relates to everything that we've discussed? And talk to us a little bit about this you know, issue in terms of Oracles being the weakest link and keeping you up at night. Uh, of course. So uh, blockchains are closed systems. They know absolutely nothing about the outside world. So anything, any data from the real world that you want to provide uh, to any blockchain system needs to come from the outside, right? And that is what we call an oracle. In the case of something like DAI, we need to know the price of Ether in USD terms so, we, so the system can know uh, if, for example, your position is under collateralized and you need to be liquidated or how much money you can, how much die you can borrow uh, against your ether. And that is what we call an oracle. So in the case of die, we need uh, two oracles. We need the price of ether in dollars, and we need the price of MKR in dollars, uh, which is the token that, uh, at least in the current version, you pay your interest uh, from your debt in. And why I say that uh, it is the scariest is because uh, I do believe, and I say this very publicly, oracles are, are indeed the, the weakest link because they, they require outside coordination. Um, and for example, what we do at Maker is for the price of Ether, we have a network of 15 different feed providers around the world running software that is constantly monitoring different exchanges and uh, deciding what their own price uh, of Ether in dollars is, for example, and they're feeding that to the blockchain. And there is an additional smart contract that takes the median of all of this uh, 14 or 15 sources. And um, so far, the system has worked uh, extremely well. We have so many other projects in the DeFi ecosystem using our Oracle. It's almost like the canonical representation of Ether in dollars uh, in the Ethereum blockchain. But we are always improving. So for multilateral, we're going to come up with a, a newer, more uh, safer version. So talk about that a little bit more. So 15 exchanges that you're monitoring on a regular basis for the price of Ethereum. How do you pick those exchanges? Because in this day and age, you know, exchanges have had issues. You know, obviously, we've seen some research come out from Bitwise this year and some others that have shown some issues with some of the exchanges. There's a lot of exchanges. And it seems that the ecosystem is narrowing in on 
maybe 10 or 20, you know, kind of more quality, you know, kind of, if you would even say grade A exchanges, although I'm not giving opinions on them, but how do you pick those exchanges and how do you, what kind of underwriting, it's a phrase I use, underwriting is basically, you know, in terms of your judgment, in terms of the scrutiny that you put in them on, what kind of underwriting do you put them on? Uh, yeah. Uh, so no, 15 is not the number of exchanges. 15 is the number of operators that provide price to the blockchain. Got Each it. one of those read from a lesser number. It's probably around four or five. And we have an internal risk team at the Maker Foundation um, who did analysis on uh, all of these exchanges. And they came out with numbers for, uh, you know, fake trading, fake volume, uh, things like that, availability. And um, they come up with uh, a formula. So each one of these uh, 15 operators, they read from uh, these exchanges. Uh, they take some sort of uh, volume-weighted average. Uh, they do some internal calculation. And then they, uh, after they do that, they, they send the price uh, to the blockchain, which is then medianized between all of these sources. Got it. And, and, and still, we're constantly monitoring uh, this to see if, uh, for example, there, there is an exchange that maybe is not reporting correct information and uh, we need to switch uh, to another one. Still, this is a complicated process because, like I said, the foundation probably controls only two out of this 14, 15 sources. Uh, everyone else is uh, external to the project and just like incentivized actors because we want to improve decentralization. In fact, for multilateral DAI, we're going to have other projects come in as feed providers, uh, other projects that actually use our oracles. And they're going to be able to, to come up with even better calculations alongside us. Got it. So we'll, we'll have some notes at the end where people can find more about Maker and more about DAI if they want to. But I also want to shift into Argentina. And I want to shift into how you get paid in DAI. This is super interesting. It's a real world use case. And I hate to say that about you because that's not fair to you. But at the same time, you've been public about that. And I think more people need to be public about that, that if they're getting paid in Bitcoin or they're getting paid in DAI or whatever it may be that you can live and you are living today. And so it's something I think is super interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about Argentina first, and then we'll talk about getting paid and die. So I see you recently mentioned living in Argentina with 45% yearly inflation and having seen beforehand our government freezing people's bank accounts, taking away their life savings. You wake up every day thinking that I'm working on Matt, what some you're working on something that matters. So it seems in the U S that adoption of digital assets has been slow because our monetary systems have been fairly stable. Um, so discuss the importance of digital assets in countries that have experienced hyperinflation like Argentina. Yeah, sure. Um, I cannot think of a time where Argentina is not in one crisis or another, <laughs> maybe in the 90s, but I, I was living in Mexico at the time. Um, so yeah, I know a lot of people that that got into Bitcoin, uh, like I said at the beginning, because of necessity, is um, we have a great community of entrepreneurs, of uh, engineers, people working in tech, and they, they tend to freelance for outside companies. And capital controls back in 2011, 2012, uh, forced people to find alternate ways of getting paid. So a lot of people just were pushed into Bitcoin because of this, it's not that 
uh, it was the incentive to discover something different that because um, you couldn't have a, a U.S. bank account or um, sorry, a U.S. dollar bank account, or if you did, the government, uh, like they're doing right now, um, if you get paid in USD, you have five days to trade it into pesos at a really bad exchange rate, which is nothing like what you can get uh, outside the banking system. Um, so I guess uh, people just flocked into that. Uh, I did so with Bitcoin in 2014 and then uh, Ether 2015 and then DAI in 2017. It is, um, it is something that, that um, we see more and more happen. And it's not just in Argentina, it's in other countries that have this kind of hyperinflation and, and capital controls, you know. And you mentioned the number 45% inflation. I think I wrote that uh, at the beginning of the year. I think it's going to end up like 65%. That's, that's really crazy. And so I think what would help is for people to understand. So if, I, if I'm not mistaken, you get paid and die. Is that true? Uh, yes. The moment we released the system, my next paycheck came 100% in die. Okay. So this is going to be super interesting for people. And I don't want to, obviously, <laughs> hopefully people are going to go try to, you know, follow you and go to the, the supermarket and do everything that you do. But let's talk about your everyday. You wake up in the morning, you, everyone like, you know, you get a cup of coffee, you get a pastry, you go to work, you know, you buy groceries, you pay rent or you own a house or you, you have to pay something, you have to pay bills, electricity. How do you do all that? Getting paid and die. Yeah. So I do have to off ramp. Uh, into pesos because as much as I would love to say that I have my wallet on my phone and I pay everything that you mentioned in DAI, that is just not the case, right? Uh, although I do know now somebody that's paying their landlord in DAI, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, but no, uh, when, I, uh, when I get my, my paycheck in DAI, I have to off-ramp some of that into pesos, into the banking system. But then again, that that is my decision to do, and I control when I do that. And uh, I use those pesos to pay for everything that you said: mm -hmm. uh, my rent, groceries, uh, car payments, whatever. And uh, I try to stay as close to zero fiat uh, pesos as possible. So, do you see a world soon, out of necessity, again? Um, where retailers, you know, the, you know, the barista that you get your coffee from, the grocery store that you go and get your food from every day, your landlord, do you see that there could be an evolution? Is it, is it an education adoption issue where if you went to your landlord or you went to your retailer, your, your grocery store owner, and you said, hey, you know, download this wallet or, you know, be able part of this, this ecosystem and we can effectively pay you in this particular digital asset. How do you think we get to a point where you don't have to go and exchange it for pesos? Where do you, how do you think we get there? Uh, well, adoption and education, for example, um, I do pay using QR code uh, linked to my bank account, uh, you know, with a, an app called uh, Mercado Pago, which is one of the, the big companies in Argentina. And it was actually one of the um, on the list to be one of the Libra validators. They probably now uh, backed out, right? But uh, it's not that difficult. Um, it, it's just talking to these companies and telling them that, 
in addition to what they have, that they could also have a, a cryptocurrency backend uh, in addition to to the ones that they've already built. And I do think that DAI is the perfect um, cryptocurrency to do it in because people do not want to spend their Bitcoin or their ETH uh, to buy a cup of coffee, right? With Bitcoin, it's not practical because of 10-minute uh, block times. And also, the meme with Bitcoin now is that it's a store of value, right? It's a People do not want to spend their Bitcoin. Uh, whereas with DAI, since you know that it stays uh, at $1, it's the perfect cryptocurrency to spend. Right, I agree. And, you know, it's something that, you know, we've talked about a lot on the show and I've talked about a lot over the last few years is that we, you know, in terms of overall adoption, we get someplace special where employees, you know, start getting paid and remunerated for their services in a particular digital asset, a stable coin. And so super interesting that you were doing that already. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of understanding where we are in the maturation of this ecosystem, we're still so early because you, you know, have to, out of necessity, you know, transition that into pesos to be able to live your life and not, you know, you can't go out and buy the necessary things you need for life with a digital asset yet. And I think that's important that it's a yet, you know, we get there soon. You know, as the on-ramps and off-ramps get easier and the rails, you know, are accepted by more retailers out there. Uh, and I guess, you know, as you mentioned, it really is on us to really kind of talk to them about that and say, this is what you can do with it. So super interesting to hear your perspective about Argentina, about being paid and die and, and your, how you're doing that and how you're living down there with that. You know, from your perspective, you know, I, I don't, again, you're not speaking for all of Latin America, but the big kind of meme and the big, you know, kind of talking point for the last year or two is Venezuela. You know, everyone, oh, Venezuela is burning to ashes. Oh, Chile, you know, all the trains got burned. Oh, everyone's going to go get Bitcoin. From your, you know, from you know, talking to friends and family down there, what do you think about that? Is that real? Is that realistic? Or do you think that's just a meme? Uh, I have to be careful when talking about Venezuela and it's something that I don't usually do because just as how I um, talk about Argentina with uh, my friends from other countries and I tell them, hey, we live with 60% inflation and we live with this kind of capital controls and everything and they say that's crazy, I, I cannot imagine that is my position uh, in Venezuela. Venezuela is in, in the millions inflation uh, you know, it's so far off what even I'm living that I don't think I can put myself in their shoes either. Um, right. Yeah, it just, I noticed that it's a meme that, you know, it seems that folks in the ecosystem say or point out that, you know, you know, this is happening, this hyperinflation is happening in this country, this hyperinflation is happening in that country. Oh, they must all be getting Bitcoin. And I'm just saying from Argentina's perspective, you know, from what you see there, you know, dealing with, you know, the 65% yearly inflation that you, you believe it is at now, do you see a rush or do you still see a, people that need to understand and be educated on what these things are? Is it still, are we still early? Yeah, we're still too early. Um, for example, um, I will say uh, yesterday, we, uh, it was the Monday after the elections in Argentina and the socialist government that was in power four years ago are coming back. So a lot of people got scared and the market reacted and 
we saw the peso devalued even more. And what we saw was in our Telegram chats uh, discussing DAI and DeFi in Latin America, we saw an influx of people. That, like we were doubling our numbers, uh, people asking about uh, about DAI and about uh, protecting their investments and their salaries. But it's still a tiny, tiny bubble, um, and and we cannot kid ourselves that we're anywhere but the. the very early beginnings of a movement. Right. And I think that's important to give context. You know, I think a lot of people are expecting Bitcoin and other digital assets like DAI to be to be ready. And everyone knows about them and everyone's going to get them, especially when there is political crisis or economic crisis. And you're right. it's We're still early and people still need to learn about them. You know, time and time again, I've been saying this over the last few weeks, is that Bitcoin, in my opinion, is suffering an, ident- an identity crisis where people think of it as a store value, those that know it well, and programmable money, people that know it well. And then people think of it as a consensus network. But then there's other people who don't really know about Bitcoin besides what they hear on the news or they read about Forbes or some other media outlet. And they just think of it as the speculative asset that went to $21,000 in value in, you know, in Q4 of 2017. And so there's still this education. And so I think we all need to double down on those efforts. And I know you are down there and I commend you for that. And so kind of moving forward to getting to know you a little bit better. Um, I'd like to ask guests a little bit about themselves in terms of what they're reading. And hopefully it's not just all Telegram chat rooms, but what you're reading and what kind of music you may listen to. Um, yeah, I, for me, I'm 38. So music ended around 94, 95 when Guns That's N' Roses. That's Come uh, on, I'm 40. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I listened to a lot of classical music. My mother was a pianist, so she, uh, uh, she got that that thing in my head. So I'm mostly listening uh, to classical music when I'm programming. Um, as to um, reading, I just finished a book um, about game theory. Two books, actually. One was just game theory and one was uh, the bi- biography of uh, Oppenheimer. <laughs> uh, and this was all related to the oracles, actually. So I was talking to my brother and... Men- uh, just mentioned what uh, the incentives uh, of an Oracle network were, and he just went ahead and he bought me a couple of books on the subject. That is super interesting. Game theory is something that I've tried to read about too, but then I realize I'm too stupid. Um, so I uh, and but classical music is something that's always been with me too. So I appreciate that. As I mentioned, you know, I want people to find out more about Maker and more about Die, but also more about kind of the work you're doing at the foundation. Can you tell people where they can go to find out more? Yes, um, MakerDAO.com. That is the that is the main website. Uh, you can also follow the MakerDAO account on Twitter, or I am very active as well. Um, it's easier if you search Mariano Conti because my uh, Twitter handle is NanexCool, which comes back for the early days uh, of the internet, and I just never changed it. <laughs> and if you, there's also um, the chat, which is very, very active, and we get a lot of questions there. That is chat.makerdao.com. Awesome. 
So this was Mariano Conti uh, from the Maker Foundation, the head of Smart Contracts. This was a, a great conversation and a primer for those that may not know that much about Maker, and obviously something that is uh, important to know about the digital asset framework and the ecosystem. But then really kind of hearing about Argentina and about how you are you know, really living proof that you can be in this ecosystem and you know, get paid and die and a digital asset and still have a very, very, very good life. And so I think it's, it's enlightening for people to hear. And I hope they reach out to you and to the maker folks. And thank you, Mariano, for joining us on Baselayer. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash Baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.